Hi, Rahul. Hey, Hillary. So today we're talking about AWS as athlete. <laughs> and this caught me by surprise. That's absolutely right. And I've sent you a link. It's a video from the recent mm-hmm. F1 race. I really want to hear what you think about it. Okay, you will learn during this episode that prior to preparing for today, my full knowledge of car racing was basically Lewis Hamilton and Hot Wheels, not actually in that order. So yeah, let's check out the Canadian Grand Prix for, in my case, the first time. Ready? Yes. One, two, three, click. Oh, now I'm in the cockpit with him. Oh my good Lord, there are no roofs. There's no (laughs) roof on this thing. It's like a kitted out (laughs) go-kart. Oh my gosh. Look at that cockpit view and how close those cars are right now. Oh, Lewis Hamilton coming up from behind. Oh, he is extremely close. That is not safe, guys. That is not safe. Keep some distance between you. You're in a moving vehicle with no doors. And that's the overtake. I'm sorry, I didn't even see the overtake. I was just concerned about them living. (laughs) So Hillary, how do you feel? I'm exhausted and I feel like a parrot. (laughs) Why do they drive so close to one another? It is not safe. Now, even though it might seem ill-advised, the reality is that The F1 cars are designed with absolute precision, with tons and tons of data points that have gone into understanding how to push the boundaries of performance on those cars. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, balancing aspects of safety. (laughs) I mean, sorry, every time you say safety (laughs) in the context of this sport, it makes me laugh because safety on the road for me looks slightly different, but (laughs) I, I take your point. The redesign of the F1 car required so much iterating that the team at F1 had to bring in some outside help. A pit crew by the name of AWS. (laughs) Exactly. So today, I'm really excited to get into how the AWS cloud helped deal with literal clouds of messy air coming off these F1 supercars, all in the pursuit of closer and closer racing. Clouds of messy air was the name of my middle school boyfriend's grunge band, but I digress. (laughs) Buckle up, my friends. Here we go. This is AWS Insiders, an original podcast from CloudFix bringing you what you need to know about AWS through the people and the companies that know it best. CloudFix is the nonstop automated way to find and fix AWS recommended savings opportunities. I'm Hilary Doyle. I'm the co-founder of WealthyWorks Daily. And I'm Rahul Subramanian. I'm the founder and CEO of CloudFix. I mean, as anyone can imagine, it is taking G-forces of willpower, Rahul, to avoid the very obvious puns that could be littered, frankly, throughout this episode. So I will just say in earnest that we're going to race through the beginning of this episode because we're so excited to speak with our special guest. Exactly. We've got an inside track with F1's very own cloud lead architect in a moment. Okay. Well, while we gear up for that, a quick pit stop for your AWS news headlines. That's actually what it is. It's a pit stop. Like, th- I, I, that, that doesn't count as a pun. <laughs> First up, AWS is raising its prices, or it's actually <laughs> creating a price. As of February 1st, 2024, AWS will introduce a new charge for public IPv4 addresses, 0.005 cents per IP hour for all public IPv4 addresses, whether they're attached to a service or not. That's a lot of zeros behind that decimal, but any new charge makes me suspicious. Rahul, what's going on here? Okay. 
So the IPv4 addresses have been around since the beginning of the internet. No one anticipated what the internet would eventually become. <laughs> now, a couple of decades ago, a new addressing scheme called IPv6 was created to significantly increase the number of computers that could exist on the internet. Now, we thought that we would run out of IP addresses about 20 years ago, but the creation of the NAT gateway really pushed out that scenario to about now. AWS is hoping that by charging for these public IPv4 addresses, they will be able to impact the move to IPv6. Smooth incentivizing. Sticking with financials, AWS has unveiled the Cloud Financial Framework. It's a collection of actionable guidelines that aim to help AWS customers optimize their workloads across different AWS services. Caveat, in order to get the most out of these guidelines, you should have a 200-level knowledge of AWS. Let's be honest, Rahul, the only question I have for you here is what level of knowledge are you? <laughs> I don't know what 15 years of doing cost optimization qualifies as, but... <laughs> I am really excited about this one. AWS has finally shared a framework for cloud cost management that is pragmatic and prescriptive. Mm -hmm. I would urge everyone to check out the playbooks for each service and make sure that you're following those best practices. And if you want automated implementations, then there's always CloudFix to help you with that. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to say that CloudFix covers all of the playbooks and more that are currently published over there. CloudFix, the cheat sheet for cloud savings. That is not our last news item about guidance from AWS. They're so helpful, especially when it comes to customers accelerating large-scale migrations. My friends, meet Prescriptive Guidance. Providing time-tested strategies, guides, and patterns to help accelerate your cloud migration, modernization, and optimization projects. This sounds helpful. <laughs> the key word here is prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Now, you've heard me complain in the past that AWS hasn't been opinionated. <laughs> and now, finally, they've published this huge catalog of very well-architected patterns that customers can use to build their cloud native solutions. AWS grows its first opinion. That's it for your news <laughs> headlines. Let's head back to the track, get into the driver's seat, rev up those engines. All right, Hillary, it's time. We are joined by Ryan Kirk, the engineering manager, as well as the cloud and DevOps lead architect for Formula One. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We have a lot to cover, so we'll start at the beginning. AWS really helped to co-create the F1 car we saw in the 2022 season, the standard for all cars on the F1 track. Would you please share some of the background on how this F1 AWS partnership came to be and why? So for sort of many years, the aerodynamicity of Formula One cars, it remained fairly static. And I'm sure the aerodynamicists who I work with would be, you know, shouting at me <laughs> silently for saying that. But, um, but kind of one of the problems that we were running into, or specifically the teams were running into, was, was overtaking. There was sort of a bit of a, a lack of overtaking within the sport, which was noticed within sort of certainly within the, the fans as well. And, uh, and that was when... As a car, so if you sort of imagine two Formula One cars driving side by side, you've got the front one, which is paving the way, which is getting all of this nice kind of calm air that was cutting through it, sort of going over the car. But unfortunately, as, as the car behind, all this kind of jumbled air was then hitting the car behind, which made the aerodynamics of that car incredibly hard to overtake and losing a lot of downforce. 
Now, what we wanted to solve is that exact problem. We wanted more overtaking, more excitement within those sports to have those consistent battles and those those dogfights. Mm-hmm. Close racing has become sort of a phenomenon in F1 in the last number of years. Why is that? So I think, I mean, taking nothing away from Mercedes, but they dominated for many years. And mm-hmm. I think that although the fans still loved F1. I think they they wanted to see a little bit more competition. They wanted to see those kind of middle ground teams and, and sort of the lower end teams and those underdogs kind of come through the ranks and, and not be limited and sort of really fighting for those places. So I think that that sort of became the priority to bring that nail-biting excitement rather than sort of just seeing one team just win it race after race, season after season. So we were aware that on social media and, and stuff that was quite sort of evident what the fans wanted and it, it was closer racing and, and more overtaking. So this basically sort of laid on the aerodynamics of the car and, and redesigning or coming up with a specification of car that would reduce this, what we call messy air, which is the air that, that comes off the front car. Now, over the course of this project, it was a multi-year project and it, it was very iterative, as you can imagine. And we ended up running sort of seven and a half thousand simulations so to put that in perspective if you ran that same amount of simulations on a a modern day high spec laptop it would take around 500 years to achieve that wow (laughs) so how much data are we talking about that was actually involved in this kind of compute so where we would run different simulations so we would have a simulation of say it could be a wing changing the wing tip single digit degrees and seeing what the result was and if it gained you a 0.5% less messy air then okay that was successful Mm. so not that much data or it could be scaled up to to two cars following each other and we would simulate what that airflow is off two cars now if we're talking kind of the two car element we're looking at probably half a billion data points wow and then over the course of the project, we generated about half a petabyte worth of aero data that we were then able to kind of play back and analyze. So, yeah, from a data point perspective, there were huge amount of parameters, huge amount of data points, and then consequently a lot of data that sort of came off the back of that. And with something like AWS and then the partnership, we had that kind of infinite scalability and it allowed us and, and our aerodynamicists to create a virtual wind tunnel within the cloud and scale as much as we want right so yeah that partnership with aws certainly helped kind of provide that platform and that scalability to run these simulations around the clock we know that aws was instrumental in shortening the periods of time for those simulations but can you give us an understanding of scale here yeah, sure. So let's give an example of the historic process that we did before we partnered with AWS was we had an on-prem data center. Now, for a single simulation, we were looking at probably three to four days of a turnaround for a single simulation. Wow. And when we partnered with AWS, we were able to bring that down to 12 hours for a single simulation. And that was groundbreaking to us from an infrastructure and cloud perspective. Because that meant that we were able to run two simulations per day. So we could run one overnight and we could run one during the day. And we then kind of looked and go, well, we can do this within sort of the cloud. How can we expand it? So then we expanded into multi-region. So then we would have multiple ones running all the time. So it became a bit of a machine, really. 
And that process was incredibly simple. Our aero team would make some tweaks to the design. They would load the design into the system. And then the infrastructure just used to sort of take that in and scale out as much as it needed. And using AWS's scalability, it would scale out. And then when it was done, it would all scale back in again. So it was, it was incredibly easy for us, which was, which was great. So how significant is data in driving the iterations that F1 or F1 teams are running on the cars themselves? I think it's very, very significant. I mean, the people sort of say that Formula One is kind of half a sport and half a sort of a technical spectacle. And, and in some ways they are correct because we are incredibly data-driven and the teams are incredibly data-driven. And, and there's just so much data that does come off the cars that are analysed in real time and also after the races that I think the majority of those decisions are very much driven by data. Whereas not that long ago, really, it was driven by the engineers and and they were watching the car and the driver experience and Mm. and then kind of having to come up with a solution based off of what happened at the time. Whereas now the data that we're able to consume and, and record back, we can, and the teams as well, can make a lot of those decisions based off of that. It's hard to have these conversations without hearing the letters DRS come up over and over again. Would you explain to our listeners just what DRS is and why it matters to F1? So DRS stands for Drag Reduction System. And essentially, at sort of a high level, um, you may see on the spoiler, sort of at the back, there's a flap that sort of drops down. Now, when a car has DRS that flap basically changes the state and it will give the driver a slightly, ever so slightly sort of aerodynamic edge. Now I say slightly, we it's not slight in the race, it's actually a huge advantage. And the car is then able to pick up on sort of a straight, you're talking maybe sort of single digit miles per hour sort of down the straight, but it's enough, it really is enough to get them into those sort of overtaking positions. So it's it's incredibly advantageous. So at a certain point, after multiple iterations, simulations, adjustments, you had an updated design to put on the actual road. Tell us about that experience. So, uh, yeah, that specification came out and um, it got signed off and we we gave it to the teams. And there was some some nail-biting moments early on that season just to, uh, you know, it was just to make sure that it was what we had kind of calculated it would be. And unfortunately, it delivered the result. I'm just going to pause our interview with Ryan here for a second, because even though we're getting you under the hood of Formula One's new car, Rahul, you host another show that also gets people on the inside lane at AWS. That's absolutely right. Uh Every week, I'm joined by my colleague and fellow AWS enthusiast, Stephen Barr, for a live stream, breaking down the latest AWS news, sharing insights, not just our own, but also those of some amazing guests from AWS. So bring your edge-of-the-seat questions. Get them answered live on AWS Made Easy. It really does make things easier. You can find out more at cloudfix.com slash livestream. And in the meantime, we'll keep this insider chat going. We'll get back to our conversation with Ryan Kirk. Ryan, take us back to the preseason. I mean, you put a new car on the track for the 2022 season, and suddenly drivers are adjusting to a completely revolutionized vehicle. What were those first days like for you? What were you experiencing personally, and what were you seeing on the track? So I think, I mean, seeing it there in physical form is is quite something. Mm -hmm. 
when we had developed these virtual wind tunnels in, in the cloud and, and you see these kind of models and, and stuff. So that was kind of cool seeing that for sure. What was the first race that you watched after you had redesigned this car? So the first race, I believe, was Australia. This was the Grand Prix. So this was the, I think it was on the first lap. I mean, we always get great racing on the first lap because all the cars are so bunched together. And yeah, and then once a few cars were able to sort of pull away, and then I think there was that kind of overtaking going on, and it was kind of dotted all around the track. I think that was when we were like, okay, this is working. And the feedback on our social media platforms as well, it was very positive. So (laughs) that's when we know that it worked, I think, was uh, because we can say, oh, yeah, that looks great. There was two more overtakes than there was in the last race. But I think it was um, where you had this dogfighting that was, it was very evident that the cars were able to have these kind of multi-overtaking type battles, which the fans loved. Can you tell us a little bit about the services that you used under the hood with all this compute that you had at your disposal? So we relied a lot on EC2, the scalability of EC2. We were able to leverage AWS's own chipset, their Graviton instances, which were fantastic as well. These were sort of game changer things because, you know, AWS develops them. They're more sustainable, which is a big driver for us than the sort of standard chipsets. Have you already tried out the C7Gs? Yeah, they're uh, yeah, big fans of Graviton. I'm sure my team sort of, you know, I always, they come up with some great systems, but they usually do sort of bug them. If, it, if it's not Graviton, I'll, I'll try and sort of press and get them to go on those because <laughs> I think they're great. I couldn't agree more. But was your choice of sticking with EC2 instances versus, say, trying something like Graviton driven largely by the fact that it is the tools that you were using to run these simulations? Or were there other decisions that went into that? Yeah, so there was a few decisions. Um, we knew that we needed raw compute as much as we would have loved to explore sort of serverless technologies. Unfortunately, they just kind of weren't viable for us. So it very quickly sort of landed us to EC2. Now, the, the exploration of instance types was, was sort of quite a journey because although we wanted to get the most powerful instance to do it the fastest, we also wanted to do it efficiently from a financial aspect. So we, there was a lot of balancing between how do we really get the most out of these instances and that best price performance that we possibly can. And so there was a lot of baselining and there was a lot of testing with with varying instances, as well as the types of simulations that we had as well catered towards different instance types, which was quite an interesting discovery because stuff like Graviton would process a type of simulation more efficiently than sort of something like standard kind of x86 type architecture, like an Intel architecture. Yeah, so that was quite fun. I must admit, sort of doing the baselining (laughs) and the performance engineering of it as well. So, Ryan, it seems like the cloud was the big enabler for a lot of this change to happen where you actually ran a lot of simulations yet maintaining all the safety of the cars. And F1 picked AWS as the partner to do all of this. One, what is the decision-making process to move to the cloud versus trying to do something in an on-prem data center? And second, why AWS? So the first one, I'd say... I mean, as a company, we were quite late to the party with cloud technology. We had an incredibly closed system for many, many years, and it, it really was a, a secret source. And hmm. um, and under the hood, it was a 200-ton-plus data center that we used to ship to every single track. <laughs> it's interesting that you measured the data center in weight rather than... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Dead weight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we would send this thing 
And um, this in my in my past life, I was a trackside systems engineer, so this was very much kind of was my bag. And it went from place to place, and it was our crown jewel. Mm. And that's that's how we got the race out. Now, when we decided to make that strategic decision to move to the cloud, it was a huge thing for Formula One because we're essentially saying we're coming out of this kind of closed system and we're going to start using someone else's infrastructure. And it was a huge enabler for us having that kind of almost infinite level of of compute and services and global presence and distribution. And why we chose AWS, I mean, they're Garnet Quadrant leaders, you know, they're especially focused on innovation that it just kind of made sense for us to pair with them as they are as enthusiastic about innovation as we are. So it it made for a great partnership. Ryan, moving to the cloud is a big paradigm shift. It requires a different way of thinking about things. And we invariably talk about a lot of the wins or the successes in the cloud, but that win comes on the back of a bunch of different learnings. So I'd love for you to share one big aha moment for you in your cloud journey. Yeah, so I think that one of the things that we saw as a business as a real kind of that aha moment, that kind of real kind of golden opportunity is global distribution as a platform. So as you expect, we do a lot of the race, but we also do a lot of other services. Our data kind of goes everywhere. Now, having a platform where we can distribute video, we can distribute data on a, on a global scale to an infinite number of clients was, was a huge, well, this is great. You know, we can, we can really expand on this. We're not limited at all by presence, infrastructure and that side of things. So I think that was quite a big moment in our remote production efforts. So, cause that is where we're, as a business, we're driving towards remote production. So that was a, a great moment for us when we realized that. And in terms of kind of lessons learned, so we were quite calculated in what we moved into the cloud. We didn't move stuff that didn't make sense. And we're incredibly latency sensitive as an organization. So when there's a race on, milliseconds do count. Mm-hmm. And especially now we do remote production. If we're based in Japan and then we're doing the production out of the UK, then those milliseconds come even more sort of precious. And so I'd say a piece of advice for people is don't just rush into the cloud with everything. You know, there has to be a use case. And I think that if, if you do sort of sit down and go, right, what advantages are we going to have here by putting it in the clouds? You won't have that moment where you have to reverse engineer something and then and put it out and have that kind of moment of actually this probably wasn't a good idea. That would kind of be a piece of advice, I guess, for, for others. Is there any other takeaway you've had over the last few years that might be useful to others who are just starting out in the cloud? I would say even though if you develop something or move something into AWS, I wouldn't necessarily just leave it there, especially if it needs to be scalable, performant. You know, AWS has a million and one ways to do things and you you really can get a lot of performance out of your system. So continue to innovate, just continue to improve it and and leverage the services, those great services that AWS provide would be my advice there. Ryan, what's your prediction? Are we going to cross the 400 kilometers an hour goal over the next two or three years with all the work that you guys are putting in? I sure like to. It's your man on the moon (laughs) moment. (laughs) I sure like to. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for making time to bring us all up to speed on F1. It's been wonderful to have you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. So, Hillary, will you be tuning in for the next Grand Prix? I will be watching from a very safe distance, like <laughs> my couch. Uh, but I'm curious, Rahul, after speaking with Ryan, it is an epic example of AWS technology and compute at work. But what can other AWS customers who you know aren't moving at 200 miles an hour learn from this F1 example? Okay, so the funny thing is, as I think through our conversation with Ryan, I think it is the manufacturing industry that stands to learn the most and replicate what F1 did. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds weird, but hear me through. Yeah. We are currently living in this fourth industrial revolution. And mm -hmm. one of the core underlying driver is the concept of a digital twin. If you had all the data that every machine in your factory produced, and you could create a virtual simulation of the machine, and maybe even predict when the machine is not performing optimally, and of course, take preventive actions as a result of that, being able to simulate and predict that is orders of magnitude more cost-effective than having a real machine actually break down. And when you look at services like AWS IoT SiteWise and AWS IoT TwinMaker, they are already available and helping customers do just that. Twins, they're so freaky. <laughs> okay, please share your AWS stories and questions with us at podcast at cloudfix.com. Some of my very close friends are twins. <laughs> and please leave us a review and don't forget to follow the show to get the new episodes as soon as they're released. AWS Insiders is brought to you by CloudFix. They are an AWS cost optimization tool and you can learn more about them at cloudfix.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.